Meow Mix comes in two varieties, original and seafood middles. A medley of mackerel, tuna, and crunchy centers bursting with seafood flavor. Meow Mix. Tastes so good, cats ask for it by name. So when was the last time you had one of those impossible choices? You made a bad choice, but there were no good options available. Maybe it was choosing the fish tacos last night at that horrible restaurant that your husband made you go to. Or maybe it was picking that route you picked this morning in rush hour traffic thinking, yeah, this is going to save me 10 minutes. Or maybe it was that last marketing campaign you did when you had no money and the expert consultant said, yeah, you got to run with this. And it just didn't work. We tend to remember and process the bad choices over the good ones we make. If you think about it, when was the last time you sat down and thought about and processed why exactly that thing that went perfectly? Well, why did it go so perfectly? Who's to blame for that amazing decision that happened? But what about those impossible choices? Additionally, whenever there's an expert involved in the decision, we're even more wired to make a bad choice. Let's remember who gave that Yelp review of the restaurant that turned out to be so awful. Or did we actually question the consultant who told us to put everything into Facebook? In a university experiment in 2009, people were actually asked to make financial decisions while contemplating a financial expert's claim on that decision. MRIs taken during the experience showed a remarkable thing. It's as if the independent decision-making parts of the brain pretty much switched off. They pretty much went with the expert every time. There's so much that can affect the bad choices we make when we have an impossible choice to do. Anxiety, fear, stress, pressure, or even, yeah, that feeling like there isn't a good choice among the bunch. You know, when it's the difference between good or great, we'll pick great every time. But when we think it's two bad choices, well, it's a different thing. What do we do? Well, studies show, anyway, that we procrastinate. We wait. We go into denial. And what we have to do, what we must do, is pick. We must choose. The least worst decision. But do so unreservedly, unapologetically, and knowing that you've chosen this. You chose. Go in looking for how this choice is a winning choice. If you go in saying that this is the least of the worst and start looking for all the reasons it can go wrong, guess what? You'll find it. But if you go into that choice looking for all the right reasons that you made this choice, guess what? You'll also find it. And that's the theme of our show today, making impossible choices and making sure the one we come up with is the right one. We use that choice to create what we want. And now for our choice of good to great, it's time to get our little show underway. You ready to choose that this is going to be the best hour you spend all this week? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hey, 
Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 154 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, October 24th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my colleague, my friend, and the man who always makes the right choice in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Are you uh, are you recovered from your IT talk today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were going to bring that up. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually enjoyed Well, we both had talks yeah. today. Well, I had a talk, and IT for Content Marketing Institute was in the audience today, so he, he could tell me how right. poorly I did, uh, talking to a bunch of security <laughs> professionals. And then what was, your, what was your gig today? Nice. I was actually, I had, I had a really fun gig today. I went down to um, this guy, Rick Franzi, who has a mastermind group, and he calls it the Critical Mass for Business. Um, and it's just a really cool little group that he's got together down here in Southern California. And he was kind enough to both invite me on his podcast, which is a wonderful podcast. Um, and, uh, and also this mastermind group that he's got together for really, it's a learning group for CEOs and business leaders and here in Southern California. And, um, and I got to talk all things experiences, of course. And it was a, it was a really cool little group down in Orange County. So, I mean, the traffic was what it was going to be, but the, but other than that, it was, um, it was a really fun, a really fun way to spend. Did the you, morning. did you actually give a, did you give a talk or just answer? No, questions? no, I gave a talk. Um, yeah, oh, I gave a talk. I gave my, my experience as seventh era of marketing chat and um and they all had books which they all got books which was really really nice and and then from there i actually went over to chapman university which is one of the small universities here in southern california and i actually spoke to a graduate marketing class which was uh which was fun nice. yeah it was that was fun that was more of a q a sort of a just a small little speech and what it what it what it told me is how completely unprepared i am to teach at a university i started going into my spiel right my normal stuff for marketing and i'm like there is no i have no pop culture references with this crowd at all they are all so young and i'm just like you know that and i'm like no you're not going to know that you, you know that no you're not going to know that one either and so i gotta up my game when it comes to pop culture because i'm i'm not with the i'm not hep with the kids as they might say you know it's funny that reminds me so um I'm not supposed to know this yet, but apparently for Ad, Adams, my, as you know, is my youngest. He's in eighth grade. Yeah. They're doing some entrepreneurial class, and the teacher invited either Pam or myself, but I'm going to end up doing it, go and, and do a session right. on being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and Adam is really freaking out over it because I guess he talked he talked to my wife about it and said, you know, I don't think this is a good idea that dad <laughs> you know, actually speaks to, to my friends. And she's like, why is that? It's like... They they don't they won't understand what he's talking about. They don't know what niche means. <laughs> they don't know what niche means. <laughs> and I said, guess what? I, My, it, most CMOs don't know what niche means. Well, it, that that's true. But but I guess he apparently over the in the next couple of days he's going to talk to me and try to consult with me. Oh, on that's how good. I better talk. Oh, I, oh, oh definitely I report back on that because I. Oh, I, I'm definitely yeah. going to. Well, here's the thing, and I said. Hey, I've spoken over 400 times in 16 countries. I can dominate this class. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna, I'm gonna. I'm bring telling the heat. you, it's a different crowd. I am telling you, it's a different crowd. <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna be amazing. You know it. I know oh, it. Oh, there it Everyone is. Everyone knows. Okay, it. <laughs> great, great. It's gonna I'm be sorry. huge. I had to. I had to bring it you up. You nasty man. You know, before. <laughs> hey, 
<laughs> Sorry, folks. Yeah. It's going to be one of those shows. One just, of those. Uh, just a little warning here. Uh, before we get yes, started, absolutely. We have, a, we have a top of the show sponsor. It's amazing. Believe it or it's not, it's wonderful. Our I know. Uh, we have our friends at Noosh, believe it or not. Noosh. Has a, Noosh. Noosh. They have a new content marketing benchmark report. Now, every year, Noosh calls through thousands of content marketing projects to gather useful insights about cost, collaboration, vendor management, and <clears throat> a lot of more, lots more stuff. Now, they've analyzed more than 175,000 projects wow. from companies around the world. I know. That's a lot. To summarize, it's huge. I'm sorry. <laughs> to summarize, uh, to summarize things like average cost of a project, number of team members, time to complete, like things that content marketers actually care about. So you can download the content marketing benchmark report at cmi.media/pnr154b. That's cmi.media/pnr154b, or you can go to the show notes on Saturday and see how your company compares to averages around the world. That's so fantastic. special thanks to our opening show uh, sponsor, Noosh. Uh, and that's and by the way, real quick, 154. We're almost at the three year anniversary mark. Isn't that 156? I, dude, yet they they told me there would be no math on this. I have no idea what 52. How, yeah, 52 weeks in a year, right? right. Okay. Yeah. Time, 52 and 52. That's 156. Okay. So in two episodes is our three-year anniversary. I think So we just true. celebrated, yeah, we celebrated 150. Now we got to celebrate three years. What are we going to do? I have no idea. Well, I mean, where is that? That's uh, three weeks from now. We'll be together, actually. So we'll be together somewhere. Um, it looks like we'll be together. Oh, that's so... That's so romantic. <clears throat> I know. It's um, it looks like we'll be together gonna... in Dallas, actually. So Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is this is really special. We're gonna have to do something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we will. And we will do and something will. amazing. All right. um, let's let's go to the news. Shall we to the news? Yes, we shall to the news. All right. Well, the first story comes to us, and of course it's the breaking story. It's the story that Really needs no introduction because it just it was so it was it was literally huge. Um, it comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, of course, and it is that AT and T has agreed to purchase Time Warner for more than eighty billion dollars, and I think eighty six billion is the current number uh, du jour. The story opens up by saying AT and T has reached an agreement to buy Time Warner for eighty six billion dollars. According to a person familiar with the plans and a deal that would transform the phone company, I don't think they've been a phone company for quite a while, but into a yeah. media giant. The wireless carrier has agreed to pay $107, $107.50 a share. The deal is half cash, half stock, according to people familiar with the transaction. AT&T Jeff, uh, Chief Executive Randall Stevenson will head the new company, and Time Warner Chief Executive Jeff Bukes will be told not to let the door hit him on the ass on the way out, and after after an interim period. So what do you think about this? Is this something worth uh, worth paying attention to, or is this just yet another acquisition that we need to see? Well, obviously, it's it affects everything because consumers touch both parts of these brands uh, pretty significantly. So I, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out here, and I'd love to get your take on this, <clears throat> there's there's been a lot of talk in the past about, look, 
if you own the pipes and you own the content, that's not necessarily a good thing. Obviously, government regulators are going to take a look at this. Yeah, but exactly. let's say that they pass. Let's say that they pass this. Is it a good thing for somebody to own the pipes and the access to the audience and the content? In the past, it, it it's been sort of a mixed bag. But it seems like, of course, what we see going on in Comcast and NBC Universal, yeah. and now we've got this deal. It seems like that's back in vogue now. And we're sort of seeing these huge conglomerates of owning both access to an audience and the content, premium content itself. It, it, it actually, it certainly is, right? I mean, this is this is something that the, this has been going on. This is basically, it, you know, it feels like this has been overnight in the making. But I can tell you, having worked in cable TV, even in the early to mid-1990s, this is something that the cable television companies, the distribution part, has wanted forever. You know, it used to be that it was who was going to really own the satellite, you know, providers, the DirecTVs of the world. And then when AT&T purchased DirecTV, it then became, all right, well, then you have Comcast and they go in and get NBC Universal. And really, who was going to get? It was basically who was going to get Time Warner and who was going to get Viacom. And you can even see there's some dancing around in the news about Viacom these days because owning both the distribution and the premium content to get there with HBO to go and with all of these um, sort of over the top, you know, boxes um, that we're that we're talking about here, which is basically going around the cable. This is where AT&T can play. And if we can, you know, if they can own that relationship with you, either through satellite or through an over-the-top relationship through HBO to go and sort of direct to your channels, then, you know, they get all the milkshake, right? You know, so it's, it's, this makes complete sense from AT&T's perspective. The question is, is that can they actually execute? You know, do they actually have the wherewithal to pull all that together in any meaningful way? Comcast and NBC Universal, it's generally seen as a pretty successful merger of those two very large companies. Can AT&T actually swallow and integrate something as large and as diversified as Time Warner? I think that's a big if. I think that's well, a big, my, big if. My question, I guess, I don't think they have to integrate it. Now, I know that they will because that's what big companies do, right? Oh, where do we need the integration? But really what this becomes is this is a huge negotiating play. They have the, they have this huge audience. They have premium content already. They can negotiate down with the other content players if they wish to, to for access to on DirecTV or whatever else it is. So they don't have to worry about those things quite as much, I think. But let, let's go. Let's look at it from the marketer standpoint. Sure, yeah. If you look at it from the marketer standpoint, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about creating your own content is not enough. We need to we we create content for access to building to an audience and then build that audience over time. That's a loyal audience, and then over time we'll monetize that audience. So we've been talking about the play of content and audience for I mean for a long time, but really been hitting home with it probably for the last few years. That's just what that's what this is. It's just it's just on a bigger scale. So what does this tell marketers to do? I think that this is the trend. It's all about look. You, it, you can't just create the you can't just create the content anymore without having in the back of your mind how are we working on our subscription, on our audience development, and with with how this is going to shake out. With you've got 
this Facebook Planet, Facebook Planet, AT and T, NBC Universal, Comcast thing going on. You've got whatever Amazon is doing. I mean, you've got seven or eight planets there that are taking up ninety percent of the oxygen. Yeah, yeah. I it's think. Gonna, I mean, so where, so where do we play as as marketers? Mm-hmm. I think the play is we've got to take this. Uh, to you know, we've we've got to basically take this on as our challenge and say, look, we've got to create our own because if we just let this ha- see this happen and we don't do anything and don't build our own audience, we're going to be stuck with a b- pretty hefty bill to reach an audience that we don't have access to. Well, that's a great point. I mean, that's an that's an excellent point. And I think this. I mean, what this really makes me want to say is I want to double down on that predict. You know, I made this prediction back when we did our prediction show, and and I said that I thought an agency, one of the larger agencies, was going to buy a media or publishing company. And I'm doubling down on that prediction. I think this may be the thing that finally tips the scale because when you start to see the value to an AT&T to purchase both the content pipes and the audience that comes with it and the ability to reach them um, in, you know, in ever more frictionless ways, well, then you start to see the real benefit of saying, why can't we do the same thing if I run a big agency, right? I want to own the content and the distribution of content across that advertising model or, you know, whatever. Yep. Or if I'm a product company looking at acquisitions of publishing or media companies, I want to own the audience and I want to be able to address them. And so it starts to hasten, I think, the need, just exactly to your point, for product companies to get into this business. And in in whatever way that makes sense, right? You know, I'm cognizant of our long discussion last week about is content marketing a thing or is it really for everybody or whatever. And but to me, it's like if you start looking at if you're if you're looking to build some sort of content marketing platform to build value for your business, the idea of doing that now in with some sense of urgency or some sense of, you know, acquisitive mind. I think it's. I think it's. It, you're going to start to. See, you're going to start to see a lot more acquisitions that look like this. I think. The, the, so the, I want to end this with this thought. This is from another article. This is actually in the the Plain Dealer, uh, so Cleveland's paper that I was reading after the merger. But it, it actually comes from New York Times article, syndicated article from New York Times, Michael De La Merced. And he's quoting. I know. I know. Iger was quoted in this article that we're going to link in the show notes. But this is a different quote that they have in this one. It says, um, noting the blue chip entertainment brands controlled by Disney, Iger, the CEO, Bob Iger, added, in today's world, it's almost not enough to have all that stuff unless you have access to your consumer. By all that stuff, he means content. Right. So, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about, right? So he's, he's basically saying, look, we got all this great content. He absolutely is saying it's not worth it if we don't have access to the audience. That's, right. That's what we've been talking about. So it's not this is not too dissimilar that what brands are, uh, and of course your example about the media, uh, the media company being taken over by or bought out by an agency. I think that's. I think you're going to see all of it. Yeah, I'd put double money down on everything. I think that this, the the M and A cycle is going to go so much faster than I think you and I anticipated because this deal is projecting that to happen. Yeah, and I think, I think. honestly they were waiting. You know, because I what I couldn't. You know, what what didn't escape me was the timing of this. And I think the timing of this had everything to do with figuring out whether or not, you know, basically when there was some certainty around 
the future of you know the leadership of the uh, of the country basically the election i think they i think you are a hundred percent right i think they were been talking about they sped this up and said we have a republican congress right now we better move quickly yeah uh and, and, and unless it shifts over that's really i didn't think about that but now that you say that i think you're absolutely right yeah absolutely oh by the and i didn't congratulate you by the way the tribe is in the World Series. Come on now. Oh, thank you. I'm very oh, we're we're you know what? I'm very excited and congratulations to all the Cubs fans out there too. Yeah. Because it's gonna be a fantastic I think it's going series. To be, it's going to be great for the media, as we're talking about the media here, because it probably will be the the most popular World Series telecast in our lifetimes. Yeah. I'm under the assumption all these Cubs fans are coming out. I mean, it's just it's a feel-good series as well, where you've got the two teams with the longest drought ever winning a world series so and uh, and all of our friends from chicago have been emailing me and i've got multiple bets oh there we go right now we're gonna be in chicago we're gonna be in chicago in two weeks so let's hope uh let's hope the tribe to tribe wins (laughs) and nothing against nothing against chicago and that's what i I told so so julie fleischer is a good friend of ours right so she's from chicago she used to work at craft and she's a tremendous uh a friend of both robert and and my own uh she sends me a note and she says oh come on you know you you got your championship with the Cavs a few months ago and i sent her a note and i said chicago's won like a bajillion championships exactly 50 years and we have won so don't be don't be safe because she basically just say michael jordan and end the sentence right She told yeah. me I was being greedy because yeah. I wanted the, the Indians to win too. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. This is Cle- this is Cleveland summer. We're gonna we're gonna keep moving. So, anyways, thank you. for Absolutely. That. All right, moving on to our second story here of the show, and this one comes to us courtesy of CMO.com, and it is about email, Joe's favorite topic. Uh, the headline here is: Email is evolving, and time spent with it is growing. Um, the article opens up by saying, mail usage, email usage, is on the rise, driven primarily by consumer shift to mobile. This is according to a new study by, guess who, Adobe. Um, and at the same time, email is evolving. It's a less formal in a world that is moving toward texting and emojis, and which smartphones are the preferred device for accessing email. I don't know about you, but I'm getting a lot more animated GIFs in my email these days from various people. Anyway, that's a whole side note. I think that's all the CMI staff. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where so it's According to the Adobe Email Survey 2016, which surveyed over a thousand white-collar Americans, time spent with email is up 17% year over year. These are millennials. Consumers age 18 to 34 spend the most time with email of any age group and rely primarily on their smartphones, 90%, to do so. In fact, almost 50% of millennials admitted to checking their email while still in bed in the morning. And the article goes on to talk through some of the other findings, but I found that one particularly interesting, which was we're trying to get to young people and the immediate sort of uh, inclination is to go to Slack or to social media. But no, age, here we go. Email is the, is the way to get to these folks. What do you think about this? I absolutely love this statistic because that's probably the, the thing that I get most from a backlash when I go up there and I'll say, I'll, I'll do my, hey, we want to build an audience of subscribers. And at the top of the subscriber hierarchy is email. And I'll go through that. And somebody always raises their hand and say, well, but millennials don't read email. And I'm like, yes, yes they do. They absolutely do. I mean, look at all the statistics and look at this one right here in front of you. They read more email than anyone else. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just tired. I'm tired of it. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm just I'm just glad that Adobe put this email survey out. And I think, it, look at 
and maybe something better will come along. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe there's some subscription tool that's going to be better in my lifetime. But right now, as whatever was this October 2016, right. right now, email subscription is our best bet for building an audience yep. over almost every type of of audience out there. So, I mean, I think this is it's it's only showing that um, they want. Really good, relevant content. And I think that's the other thing that I took away was what was the thing? 49% of the respondents said that their number one way to communicate with brands is through email. Exactly. And I think there's probably nothing else they don't want to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> What's the second? Is there a second one? Yeah. We don't we don't want to communicate with brands anymore, but whatever it is, 25%. What, what is it? Uh, is there another? What's second to that? Did it come out in here I, somewhere? I can't uh, find yeah, it. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't it's, matter. Well, here's the, here's something interesting that I have a question about, which right. is, do they consider, do young people consider direct messages that you get through either push notifications or through the social channels, do they consider that, quote unquote, email? Because I've, I've had people, now I, I don't know if they define this or not, but I've had some young people, this is totally anecdotal, they'll say, oh, I'll email you and I'll get a direct message from Facebook. No, I think that's separate. Yeah, because, I would agree, well, but I'm, just, read, I'm asking the question. I don't, I don't have an okay, answer I looked for it. Okay, yeah, looking at the survey, yeah. they could have said email, direct mail, the brand's mobile app, which, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, social, right, media, right. social media channels. Text message, SMS, or phone call. Obviously, phone calls down there at the bottom. Right, but I didn't. What I didn't see there was direct message through the social channels. Right, so I wonder. But I would. I thought that that would be social yeah, media it may be. channels. It but may you're be. right. There is a. Yeah, we we need we need clarification. Can we reach out to the Adobe folks and get clarification Adobe. on that? I think it's, Adobe. I think it's really important. So here. Here's what's happening, by the way, if you've noticed for media launches, is there's a lot of email-only launches there are. out there. Like for a media company, that's a huge thing. So I think that what, – what do so what do you do as a brand marketer with this? I think you could say there is a story here. There's probably enough evidence. You could make a hypothesis to say, hey, could, could we do an email-only content marketing initiative? And make it work. And I think the answer is yes. If it made sense to do that, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I know companies so. who are. I know companies who their only their only means of communicating with their audience is email. They don't have a blog yeah. or they don't have a a web uh, version <clears> of this. It is, or you know, or if the web version is there, it's literally just an archive of the email. It's more of a you know. Remember the old listserv types of you know emails yeah. and things, and and it's more like that where it's an it's it's a one way subscription based email that is written you know weekly or daily or whatever it is and it's just it's just email you can go subscribe and unsubscribe on a page and see the archives but that hardly consists of a blog or any kind of other ex- experience it's really just email and i know a couple of brands that are doing yeah. just that and and doing very well at it by the way Here's the one thing I don't get. It says 30% of respondents say they see a trend toward emails getting shorter. Well, what's the other 70% say? Yeah. Longer <laughs> or the same? Like, what were the other? Like, I don't know if 30% is a good, is that a good thing? Is that the majority? Is it the minority? Here's my, when I saw this, here's what I thought. I think that you're, you're going to see extremes. 
I think you're going to see a lot very like super short, like email. It's not email newsletters, emails themselves. Obviously, you've got a lot of one word responses back and forth. You're almost using it like push message. Right. And then and then but email newsletters, I think, are going to get longer. I think you're going to see a lot of email-only content that we just talked about that you can't find in a blog post, just like you and I would do our e-newsletters. Yep. You, you can't get that stuff anywhere else. you got to subscribe to the newsletter. I think you're going to see more of those things that makes the emails longer, and I think as long as it's valuable, it's not a problem for those things to scroll. Yeah. So that's that's my take. But I don't know if 30% is good or bad because yeah. it doesn't say. Well, I don't know if long or short is good or bad. Quite frankly. I don't. I don't think it matters. I think that's the thing, right? We're always as marketers. I mean, how many? To, oh, how long does a blog post have to be? Right, it has to be as long as it needs to be. As long as to, to tell the story. Yeah, that could be. Go, that tell could be two, Could be two hundred <laughs> words, or it could be a thousand. You tell him, Joe. Ten thousand. <laughs> you tell him. You got. You got a problem, man. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> Come on. I got 99 problems, but um, actually, oh, yeah. email ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when we do these too late at night. Yeah. And we get punchy. Yeah. And you're getting punchy. I'm fine, but you're that's getting punchy. That's exactly right. All right. Moving so on get, to our next story. Um, right. And that's going to come to us courtesy of LinkedIn. And this is uh, a simple post um, provided by, I should say, friend and family of the show, Dan Hockley out of uh, Australia and Singapore um, with King Content. And he wrote a post that is fascinating. Now, it quotes me, full disclosure, it quotes me, so I'm on the record here in terms of what I thought about this article in the article itself. Um, And the headline here is that the survey, a survey proves APAC marketers, so Asia PAC, see that, have no idea about content marketing. The article opens up by saying, last month, HubSpot, SurveyMonkey, and the Asian Content Marketing Association, I didn't even know there was such a thing as the Asian Content Marketing Association, they produced their inaugural edition of the Asia-Pacific Content Marketing Report 2016. According to the executive summary, the report surveyed businesses across Asia, Australia, and New Zealand and summarized the experiences of over 720 marketers across Asia-Pacific. The report says it aims to provide marketers across APAC with a data-packed summary of current trends in content marketing, allowing brands to benchmark their own marketing efforts and identify areas of improvement. While Dan applauds the authors for attempting to create a report with the attention of setting regional benchmarks, he found the responses published in this report to be unreliable for the method of content marketing. In fact, he says, the results published as benchmarks in this report concerned me so much that he felt compelled to write this article. The article then goes on to describe the challenges he had with the study, the findings, and what his idea of what's really going on in the Asia-Pacific region with content marketing. What did you think, Mr. Polizzi. I think Dan is very passionate. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's and no doubt about that's that. That's exactly what there's I Dan, no doubt about hats that. off to you, buddy. Yeah. You're very passionate. He got his he, couple, he got his hackles up. A couple things I would like to comment. And by the way, some very, very good points in this. Yeah. Uh, because as you know, I'm a stickler for research. He calls us out a little bit on the research as well. So I wanted to, to, to comment on this. You know, what I thought was interesting, Robert, is that when, when marketers, these APAC marketers, 
uh, responded, what was most effective. He, uh, it looked to Daniel here that they were responding on what's the easiest to create, not was the most, what was the most effective. You actually commented on right. one of those parts where, where maybe they, maybe the survey that we're talking about here just wasn't done right. Now, here's the thing that we do with our survey, Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Pros, because Dan says in this survey that he took that there was no qualification of what effective marketer meant. Like, I'm effective at something in content marketing. Right. Like, what does that mean? Right. In ours, we define it. We define effective by a co- means accomplishing your marketing objectives. That's very, very important. So if you are effective, it can't be, oh, just because it's easiest to do or it's because that's how I feel this month. It's because which one actually best accomplishes your content marketing objectives, your marketing objectives. So that's really important. I just wanted to, to share that, Daniel. Like, I don't know if you've seen our survey and how we put that out, but that's absolutely what it says. The last thing that I wanted to comment on, I wanted to get your take in it. He basically disqualifies most of the survey because he says that, it it sounds like most of the marketers taking this have a limited idea of content marketing. They're very li- what whatever the question was, I can't remember what it was, Robert, but it was talking about how they're just limited, they don't have enough knowledge in it whatever. I would say that that's pretty much all marketers for the most part. Have a I would don't you say that most marketers have a limited idea of a content marketing approach? Well, here's the word. I, I don't know that I would use. Maybe limited I, is yeah, the I wrong wouldn't word. use the word limited. What I would use, what would you, I would use the their What's own the definition, right? So, you know, I, I think what you have is a stratified mix of marketers who believe content marketing to be one thing or another. And in many ways, it may agree, you know, and comport to exactly what we say it is. Um, not that what we say is necessarily gospel or anything, but it, it just saying that it may agree with our take on it. And another may claim that, I mean, I've heard companies go content marketing is equated with SEO. And I've heard others that say, you know, we had this discussion last week, right? All content is marketing. Thus all, you know, marketing content is content marketing. And they sort of conflate everything that we're doing with content and, and call that marketing. And so I think you you come with certain as with everything, by the way, you you know because what is marketing, right? I mean, we could get into a really philosophical discussion and and you know <laughs> take a big bong hit and try and figure out what the heck marketing <laughs> really means. But the point being that when we think about content marketing, I think you've got content marketers bringing their own biases and opinions to the table, and so. Of course, and that was really sort of the broader point I was trying to make in Dan's article, which is I think what you're seeing here is some skew of these results based on the who was actually asked and the way that they answered, which was going to be true for them, but not really true for, you know, a, a, a what's true across content marketing as a as a you know as a sum game you know across asia pacific kind of kind of like the election polls in the u.s well yeah well yeah i mean not to put too (laughs) fine a point on it but yeah i mean you know it's it's what's true for you right now is is going to be very different i mean you know not i mean getting into the theme of the show you know the choices we make based on the data we have are gonna be different and you know, when 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 we looked at the um, you know, when, when the, the one of the things that I made a point to talk to in, in his article was this idea of it was that most successful sort of channel for you. And it was like I, I used the analogy. I said, it's like, you know, it's like going into a, a pub 
and asking everybody in the pub what their favorite, you know, fine wine is. Well, nobody's going to have good answers for you. You're not going to get any good answers in the middle of a pub because that's not their passion. The same, by the way, goes through you go to a fine wine tasting in Northern California or Paris and ask them people what their favorite beer is. You're going to have a different set of, you know, of criteria there. And so I think you're going to see some skew based on what, you know, the way the question was asked. I think to his point, you know, what's easier versus what is effective is and and I think because of that, looking at this as a purely scientific approach to finding out what's really going on in content marketing is is not terribly is not going to be terribly productive. So the, there's there's two things that I wanted to comment on before we uh, we we go off and do whatever else we're going to do on the show. <laughs> uh, the 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 one part here is on content shock. Yeah, And it says, the, the HubSpot authors noticed these. I'm reading from Daniel's post here. The HubSpot authors noticed these results and did address this issue with a specific warning about content shock, saying, mark, quote, marketers in APAC are realizing a difficult truth. Content shock is upon them. And then and the Daniel says, I agree with this. The oversaturation of content is now a scourge, scourge <laughs> on our internet. <laughs> At our internet browsing experience. Yeah. I wanted to talk this because you've talked about this a lot, Robert, and I don't think we could uh, paint a better picture than it is not a problem for consumers. No. This is fantastic for consumers. That's right. The more content that's out there that's going to better uh, solve their problem. That's right. It is not a problem. Is it for some marketers? Sure it is because you actually have to work and create a strategy. It, that's it's not easy. It's not as easy as it used to that's be. Exactly or right. if it ever was easy. That's exactly right. We actually because in in two thousand five to two thousand ten, let's say, you could have a tawdry strategy, if you will, and you could still do okay because there just wasn't that much out. You could do fine, <laughs> but now. You actually have to have a pretty good strategy focusing on a particular audience that you want some behavior change to happen over time. I mean, you have to. So I, I wouldn't, I always look at that and I'm like, come on. The second thing, and I want to get your input on this, he goes on a rant here about distribution strategy, especially about uh, marketers. And it, this happens in, in our Asia Pacific and uh, Australian study that we do every year. The number one distribution method for content was search engine marketing, specifically Google AdWords. And he does he thinks that's the silliest thing in the world. Daniel thinks that's the silliest thing in the world. And and that it's only when you're about and basically what Daniel says is just when you're ready to buy, that's when you go and and so why would you uh why would you use search engine marketing for this thing? And he uses the example of Wall Street Journal. If you type Wall Street Journal into Google the publishers themselves only put offers to get the Wall Street Journal. And I'm like, and then I'm like, oh man, come on, Daniel. You got to use a better example than that. Because if you're typing in any other word that goes on, if you want to find out, you know, how, what's the best process for, uh, for industrial soldering equipment or whatever the case is, you know what you're not getting? You're not getting a lot of offers to buy. You know what you're getting? You got a lot of content offers right. to help you solve those problems. And those are paid. So I think it the 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 answer to the question is for search engine marketing. It depends on what they're googling. It depends on what they're going to the search engine for. If they're going to actually buy a product, then then fine. 
yes, you're not going to put up content when they're going to specifically like write down your product name, let's say. Not not a good time for content at that point because they're ready to buy. They already know what they want. But if they're trying to solve a problem, that's different. So I think that's when search engine marketing can play a pretty good role. And you talked about this in your master classes for years, and I think you still do actually. I absolutely. I mean, you know, so I mean, the, the nut of it, and, and I actually commented on this one as well, is that look, this is a content. Pr- I think there's also some conflation of content promotion and content syndication. Yes. Right? And so yeah. let's understand that content being syndicated. What that means? It means how do we get our content out <clears throat> of the bounds of where we actually have it in our owned media experience and actually get that content out on, you know, another publication or another, you know, interface where we can syndicate that content out to multiple interfaces versus pure content promotion, which may include syndication, by the way, but it may also not include syndication. And so we need to basically make sure that we're defined because I think the way that many of those respondents answered that question is they thought that they were asking, how are you promoting your content? Because they just didn't understand the syndication word. They didn't understand what was meant by what do you mean by syndicate? Because so few brands are actually doing this. So few companies are actually truly syndicating content. What they're doing is they're buying Outbrain or they're buying um, Google ads for their content and they're thinking that they're syndicating their content, but they're actually just buying ads for content. And that's great, and that's a wonderful promotional tactic. It's not syndicating your content. And so that's the, I think that's the difference in the study. Now, to your point, I agree with you. It's, you know, it's, it's, all, in what, it's all in what it is we're trying to promote. Are we trying to promote buying of a product, or are we trying to promote content? And what it, are we trying to solve a problem for customers, or are we trying to drive value? Well, hats off to Daniel yeah. because this this was this article was like twenty five hundred words if I had to guess something well, like and that, part, and, and it was only one part one. It's part one of two. only part one. Yeah, he, Daniel, he got, keep up the great yeah, keep got, up the great work, he got buddy. Fired up, absolutely. Um, well, speaking of fired up and keeping up the great work, we have a wonderful new episode sponsor to talk about our our sponsor here midway through the show. Uh, absolutely. Uh, this one Uh-oh. is from our friends at. <laughs> Oh, this, this, Uh-oh. this one. What? No, this not. It's <laughs> Any not a questions? Bad it's what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Why was the David S. Pumpkins thing so funny? I don't know. Any so basically, for those of you that don't know, SNL did a skit. Tom Hanks, who I love, Tom Hanks. Uh, he actually used to perform at the Beck Center, just yeah. a few miles away from me here in Lakewood, Ohio. Uh, they did this David S. Pumpkins Halloween spoof that I watched twice, and it was the. It, I don't know why it was so, so funny. Dumb, it's so dumb, but just, it's so funny. I'm sorry. It's you have so to. funny. And this is not our advertisement, by yeah, the way. Yeah, this is our, yeah, our ad here. Our sponsor yeah. for the show is Curlate, and they have the complete guide to visual commerce. I don't know if we've had a complete guide to visual commerce. I like on it, show, though. Robert, no, I'm, I'm not. It's yeah. about time because we've been we've been really hankering for our complete guide to visual commerce. Which three obstacles keep marketers up at night? By now, you probably know that discovery and purchases are driven by lifestyle content. No, no, that's for for some things that are driven by lifestyle content. So how can you minimize clicks without, sorry, minimize clicks between the lifestyle content consumers love and the products they want to buy? So what Decurelate has done is they've they've created a guide explaining how lifestyle content is changing the way commerce works. Learn how marketers and site managers can, one, find more creative, two, identify top performers, and three, connect lifestyle content to product conversions. I am... I have, and I have to be honest with you. I have not 
looked at this yet, but I really got to download this because oh, I am totally going. I, I'm all is, over yeah, this. I love the I so love Kira the we're gonna, commerce with content here. I mean, it's just we're, we're going to be all. We're going to be all over this yeah. guide. And uh, so basically, go to cmi.media slash pnr154a. That's cmi.media slash pnr154a and download this guide. And uh, it's called The Guide, The Complete Guide to Visual Commerce from our friends at Curalate. And uh, thank you for the promotion. This is a new topic for us, but totally right on for what our audience needs to get. So thank you to them. Absolutely. For, thank you. Uh, that's a, that's a, and to welcome the to the family to Curalate. It's a. Uh... Fan. Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, and that's not welcome back. Yeah, it's well, well, welcome back. But welcome here. Hello, Mr. Yes. Cotter. Any questions? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, folks, it is favorite, time for your favorite part of the show. <laughs> it is our rants and rave section where if you haven't noticed and hasn't gone off the rails for you yet, we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we've made a really good choice or something that makes us feel like we've made really bad choices in our life. Um, and so let's see. I'm, I've got this old marketing, so I'm going first. I, I don't know why got- I even need to say that. It seems like I've got this old marketing every <laughs> single week. You know what? You should just do this old marketing every time. I think that everyone would appreciate that. Is that true? I don't, know. I don't think that's true. I think so. I think they, that's, what, they, oh, that's, what the, the, that's what the research says. Oh, well, the numbers don't yeah. lie then. Okay, the numbers fantastic. Don't lie, so though. let me give you two quick, I guess there are more commentaries than they are rants or raves. Um, because one, I'm about halfway through and, um, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. So first one comes to us courtesy of the Harvard business review and this big, huge hat tip to Jim McDermott, who is a friend and family of the show for sure. Um, and sent this over and then you sent it, he sent it to you and then you sent it to me knowing that I'm an HBR junkie. Um, and it's a new book. It's a new book, um, that is part of the Harvard business school, um, release and it's called the Content Trap. Um, it's by an author named Bharat Anand, um, and it basically speaks to the, the you know the way the sort of opens up. It says you know the world is drowning in content, and as business competing in the digital realm, it can be tempting to believe that the key to success is to produce better content to rise above the digital clutter. He argues that this kind of approach, however, represents a basic misconception about how the digital world works. Um, and he goes on to then really not support that argument at all. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really getting through this book and, and, and he, he talks about basically three major content traps. And so he had, the first one he identifies is that businesses, and he really focuses in, by the way, here on media businesses that we've, you know, certainly we've been talking a lot about media businesses here, but he really uses this as sort of a, a backbone through this to talk about content through media businesses. And he says, look, one is paying too much attention to content or product instead of focusing on how to connect users. And that's sort of the whole thesis of this book is that connecting people to each other <clears throat> And to the brand is really the goal here. It's not to have people enraptured with your content. And, you know, it's like I I can't argue for that or I can't argue against it because, of course, you know, it's connecting audiences is a wonderful thing. But also so is creating great content, too. And basically, he uses the example, you know, for he says that, you know, that conventional wisdom is that the Internet destroyed newspapers because online news is cheaper and faster and better. But he said, basically, the real problem was, you know, the revenue lost in classifieds, which 
to me, it's like, okay, I buy, in other words, he goes through the book and I'm about three quarters of the way through it yet. So I'm, I'm sort of withholding all of it until I get done with it. But he goes on to talk about things that I really admire and agree with. And really, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then he sort of brings in a conclusion that I go, how do you get that conclusion from this argument that you've just built? And, and so it's, 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 I think it's a good book to give you a good sort of view and perspective from the media, you know, looking and acting like a media company and the challenges that we've seen as the disruption of digital has really taken foothold of the way that we go to business and go to market these days. I like it from that perspective. I'm still really in the dark about the conclusions here. I just, I'm not quite convinced that he's made the point he's trying to make here. Anyway, so that's one. I can sense that you're perplexed. <clears throat> I'm perplexed. I, can, I, I think the, the listeners can, can feel the tension. Yeah, they can feel uh, the perplexment. disturbing. The per- There's a disturbance in the There's force. There's a perplexment uh, that is taking place. Yes. The second um, quick commentary here is, and big hat tip here to um, also friend and family of the show, Carlos Abler. Hi, Carlos, um, at 3M, who send this, sent this over. And it's from Bechdahl, um, which is a guy who does a lot of research in terms of television ratings and and research and and those kinds of things. And he wrote a blog post um, on his uh, site that says, basically, it's a hard look at YouTube views versus TV ratings. And this is something that I've used in my master class and I use in examples all the time. It's a business I come from. I come from TV. And he really sort of talks about this idea of how the market right now, and especially media buyers and agencies at media buyers, are getting fleeced because we're trying to make this false equivalency of uh, YouTube views and viewership vis-a-vis TV ratings and how that's a really bad thing. And it's like, I agree with that for the most part. He's not wrong. But the thing is that he gets really worked up. He's really worked up, a little bit like Daniel in his post. He's really worked <laughs> up about the whole thing. And the difference is is that he talks about what's delivered. He talks about this idea of, of well, if you buy the front page of a newspaper and you buy a, the middle section of a newspaper, it's not the same, as his argument. He says, you know, basically, it should be the same, but it's not because they're convincing you that not as many people will get to the middle of the newspaper, so therefore the middle full-page ad is cheaper than the cover. And he's got problems with that and he talks about the how audiences start to fall off of shows and that the Nielsen rating is only an average you know it's it doesn't it don't you know so it captures what's there at the front of the show but it doesn't accurately capture what's at the end of the show and if you're commercial at the end of the show you're getting ripped off and and the same is true with YouTube videos and blah 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 and he goes on through this and it's it's an interesting article we'll certainly put it in the show notes but my problem is is, is that is that what we need to also recognize is that there's a difference between what is bought and what is delivered. So as a media buyer or as a someone who buys advertising or native advertising or content placement, I'm going to get sold something. And that's wh- whether that goes, th- what I'm betting on when I make that purchase is that that is going to do better than what was promised. In other words, if a sales guy comes to me and says, you're going to buy a 30-second spot on my television show or a YouTube video, and I go, great, I'm buying it at X dollars. What I'm hoping is is that I'm going to get the show is going to do better. In other words, I'm betting, you know, I'm I'm betting on 7, you know, 7 come 11. Let's go. And for the most part, that tends to be true. You we usually media companies love, you know this, Joe, you love to overdeliver. 
You don't love to over deliver so much that you leave money on the table, but you'll, you know, it's much better to have the over deliver conversation than a make good conversation. And so what that's what we need to understand here when we're thinking about paying for media. There is, when we think about YouTube, when we think about digital, when we think about all those things and how we're going to change our perceptions in the way that we look at television versus digital versus what we're paying for, for the placement of content in an advertising format, don't forget that there's what's bought and then there's what's delivered. And that's the real magic of a great media buyer is that making those bets, it's not that you're getting ripped off all the time. You may actually do better than the house sometimes. And that's the real key. 99% of the media buyers in the world out there, they know this. They, they, there's, they're, not getting, they're not getting fooled by this sort of different view of YouTube versus Nielsen ratings. It's an easy way for us to start to look at viewership and and all of that. So let's look at it and use it for what it's useful for now. And yes, definitely come up with new measurements in the future. Anyway, that's my my commentary. Is it worth reading? It is. It is worth reading. If you're interested in TV and TV ratings and viewership of YouTube, it's definitely worth a read. It's definitely he, he again. He gets himself really worked into a tizzy on this, but but I think it's he, he's he's a smart guy, and there's there's really good value in this. But I just want to put some context to it that there's what we buy and then there's what's actually gets delivered. And what he's talking about is purely what gets delivered, not what we actually bought. Well, speaking of what gets delivered, I have three really quick articles I want to talk about and I I will be brief as brief as I can possibly be. You're suggesting that I'm not. So (laughs) no, 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 that's Robert, please. Uh, The first one comes from Mashable. Uh, it's called a still recovering Chipotle is launching a Snapchat show, and I and I and by the way, all I'm saying is you know P- Chipotle. If you don't know, you know they've been through some hard times with some of the food poisoning outbreaks, and they're really trying to make a turn. They're launching the Snapchat show called oh, what is it called? School of Guac, <laughs> which I thought was That's pretty great. funny. Um, yeah, I, I don't – all I'm just saying – I don't know anything about it. I haven't seen it. They're launching it. They're uh, they're focusing on a particular audience. They're going to commit to it. Um, they're going to – it's going to be uh, – they say basically the, the guy says our Snapchat strategy is p- particular going to be very – it's going to be very different. We're going to be uh, obvious in our tone of voice. It's going to be fun. They're trying something different. Good for them. And all I wanted to say was that was great and – I've been, I was on Mashable here. I can't even function on Mashable anymore. I, this is my rant. I, th- there are so many pop-ups and pop-overs, and I'm clicking on things, and I'm clicking off, and I don't know what, and I can't even scroll down because I got 72 things that are loading in the background. Mashable, for the love of God, what are you doing? You're driving me crazy. Yeah, you lost me in Mashable. So, yeah. So I, anyways, I can't. Yeah, I can't even go back to Mashable these days. It's just it's unusable. So, the site, especially on mobile. Oh my god! Have you tried it on mobile? It's even worse. This was in the. This was desktop. Yeah. I thought that the mobile was better than the desktop. This was terrible. I couldn't. Even, so this will probably be the last Mashable article that we'll be talking about because I I just can't function on the site. Yeah. I ended up. I ended up at some hoo ha site. I don't know where I was. What I was doing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is that said? I probably shouldn't. Have I like said the that. fact that you've used the words. It's so there's a great drinking game here. <laughs> you've used the word scourge, tawdry, and hoo ha in the same show. It's just awesome. For those of you All keeping, right, my, for those of you keeping with the PNR Scrabble, we've got hoo ha, oh scourge, God. and uh, tawdry. 
So the other, I'm going to put two other links in the show notes. One is from Mag Culture, and this is again from Carlos Abler. Uh, and I just wanted to mention that the they have a really interesting magazine out. The, I'm sorry, The Gap came out with a magazine called The Gap Document. It is a beautiful magazine. It talks about a lot of the history of some of the fashion trends that they're going through, some of the new fashion trends. It is a beautiful magazine. I just wanted to put that in the show notes so you can see some of the print stuff that's going on out there that most of the time we don't get to see. So thanks, Carlos, for sending that on. And the last thing that just came through, I don't even know if you heard about this, but I wanted to mention it. This is from Recode. The New York Times is buying the wire cutter for more than $30 million. Did Did you see this? I did not. Okay, I just wanted, I mean, the wire cutter, it's, it's actually two sites. It's the wire cutter, which basically they make, uh, um, recommendations on electronics and other gadgets and whatnot. It's all affiliate run. And the reason why I think this is interesting is, is that here's New York Times where their digital revenues are mostly advertising based and they're going and buying two other sites that are all affiliate based, Wow! which basically is just a different business model for them. I just thought that was super interesting as you see further diverse uh, diversification on the media side, more to what we were just talked about on the, on the front of the show. So I thought that was interesting. That's fascinating. Oh, I really love that. Oh yeah. That's, that's really interesting. All right. Well, uh, so now we have this old marketing example and a really wonderful one, I might add, um, because and part of it is because I got to I got to revisit one of my favorite books of all time when I found this example. So I'm doing a webinar um, tomorrow, actually, for uh, lawyers, for a bunch of law firms. And it's the Lawyers Marketing Association I'm doing this webinar for. And so I started looking at content marketing examples for uh, law firms and came across this wonderful example that was highlighted in this book. Maybe you've heard of it, Joe. Get Content, Get Customers. Have you heard of this oh book? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. It brings back the memories. Yeah, that is definitely book. a yes. this old marketing. Is, <laughs> but written by the indomitable Joe Polizzi and Newt Barrett. Um, and it was a case study actually of this wonderful UK law firm. I'm going to, I may butcher the name here. Pincent Masons. Am I getting that right? Pincent. I think that's right. Pincent Masons. I believe that's right. Um, and this is a, is a content marketing publication that they've had going since 2008. So, um, uh, it's basically really the, this has been going for at least 10 years, if not, if not longer, um, in terms of what they're doing here. And, you know, as the article that we'll link to in the show notes uh, certainly uh, talks about, written by Newt, um, talks about how British law firms may seem stodgy and old-fashioned. Well, you haven't encountered, uh, encountered Pincent Masons yet. And so they've created this publication. And at the launch, they had created both a print magazine and a digital magazine called Outlaw. And Outlaw was basically news, timely, useful content for all of their current and prospective clients, basically covering all of the aspects of law that they cover and really educating um, their their customers. And so it was basically, cre- they created a dedicated team and still have a dedicated team to produce this content. They've discontinued the print magazine today, but they've now, the Outlaw site is still there. 
and still publishing. I went and looked at it, and there's some great content there. Um, they've got a dedicated team to doing it. They chose that slightly edgy name to brand the website, so they actually created that content brand called Outlaw, uh, which is really interesting, as they said, to evoke slightly a feeling of the American Wild West to suggest outside-the-box thinking from a legal perspective. Um, it's really focused on their practice, which is a uh, technology law. So they're really firm in their content mission and what they're trying to do, providing everything about law for technology firms. And so if you're looking, if you're a technology-oriented firm and you're looking for advice, you know, useful information about technology law, Outlaw is going to be a site that you'll find very, very um, helpful. And so basically, as this, the article in this case study talks about, Outlaw in the very early going was very conventional in their marketing, and this was really something that really broke them out, out of the box and really doing something. They've created, at the time uh, of the writing of this case study, more than 150,000 um, monthly visitors and uh, tens of thousands of subscribers. And as they say, you know, they've, they've increased it in, in the couple of years that this was, uh, the, when, we, you know, when we looked at this, more than 10,000%. And I'm sure it's done very well since then. They've got more than 15,000 subscribers um, and, and just a wonderful example of a piece of content that has evolved over the last 10 years, started in the 2006-2007 timeframe, has been around for 10 years, and really helped Pincent Masons really uh, differentiate out in the marketplace, and a great example of this old marketing. Yeah, this is always one of my favorites. Just one minor correction. Yeah. They started it in two, 2000. Oh, they started, 2000 I thought they started the, the website in 2000, but the, that came later. I thought no, they so they started in two two thousand as um, a content brand slash weekly newsletter. Gotcha. And they started to build the subscribers as part of that. And it was always my favorite when we did the interviews. So Newt did all the interviews for this one and talked with the the folks at Pincent Masons and uh, and I was a little disappointed that they cut the print out of it. I mean, I totally understand it because that still the the content brand online is very robust. But they have podcasts going into the e newsletter podcast. They've got a full suite of media as part of this, and this is how they go to market. That's how they would become one of the leading um, leading law firms in the technology area. So I mean, it's just it's a really really good example. And so it's this old marketing, and here sixteen seventeen years later, it's still going strong. Yeah, I love it. So. I love this example, and it's been it's front and center for my. My webinar tomorrow so it's uh it's I, I love it as an example perfect yeah awesome so that's it what do we got going on this well, week well let's you got see i'm on? i'm home for the remainder of the week because i'm getting ready to get on the road with you with these master classes so i'm actually home this week polishing up finishing up the master class uh, presentation getting my travel arrangements in order getting all my stuff here at the homesick because i'm going to be on the road for quite a bit of november um and yeah just really heads down working how about you uh there's a there's a baseball game on this oh, week i heard i heard uh yeah so i'm gonna heard, so, so tuesday night i'm that. gonna be watching game one and uh and and actually this week i'm speaking i told you before I'm keynoting at the Female Entrepreneurs Summit, and um, do they know you're? I, they, gonna, they know you're a man. Yes, they. they I I think so. Okay. I think they do. Okay, I'm just uh, checking. But I'm 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 excited to to talk to the the Female Entrepreneurs Summit Fantastic. and uh, to give my perspective. I am the only okay. male speaker on the agenda. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and, uh, so that's, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. They'll see how that goes, but it should be fun to go out and do that. And then just same as you, like I'm getting ready 
I'm 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 not doing as much work for the master classes. I have my own little presentation. I have a couple things I need to do. Not kind of what you do because you really teach the class. I sort of <laughs> I'm the host. I'm the host, and you are the talent, and uh, it's worked out that way for the last six years. Thank you for that, by the way. way. Well, very well, then. So that is it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose on your favorite podcast that can get the words scourge, tawdry, and hoo-ha into the same show. And if you like this episode, number 154, do consider leaving us a review on the iTunes or the Stitcher or all those kinds of things, or subscribe. And if you subscribe, if you leave us a review, let us know. Won't you hashtag us up on This Old Marketing on the Twitter? We would certainly love to thank you personally for any of that. And story ideas, story ideas, story ideas, and This Old Marketing examples, we love them. So send them over, hashtag it up at This Old Marketing, because we really, really, really do appreciate it. Or you can send us an email. You can send us an email, of course, at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links that we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which will be available on Monday night as we go to publish. And of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.